Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you let us know? Send an email to toledocalvary.org. We would love to hear what God is doing in your life today. Grab your Bibles. We're going to flip the script. Matthew chapter 5. We have been in the Sermon on the Mount and uh, kind of the most famous sermon that Jesus ever preached. We're about a third of the way through it. Um, in January, we'll pick back up with chapter six, which is some of the best stuff we could look at as we get to the beginning of a year. Um, but Jesus kind of, you can see even in the sermon how he kind of breaks it up into some different parts. And we're coming to the end of something here at the end of chapter five that he's wanting to stress for us. And this is what we've seen, that Jesus is teaching his followers that life in the kingdom of God is different than life in the world's kingdom. He, he says, look, if, if you're gonna be a part of my kingdom, if you're gonna be a follower of Jesus Christ, if you're, gonna, if you're gonna live in God's neighborhood, if you will, then you're gonna live different. You're gonna do things different. You're gonna have a different perspective. You're gonna see the world in a way that is unique compared to those around you who are not a part of God's kingdom. And, and here's what he's stressing here in this last part of chapter five, that life in God's kingdom is lived from the inside out. It's not just about religion and what other people see. It's not just about the perception that you give or what you want someone to think. Life in God's kingdom starts on the inside. So what Jesus does six times that we've seen him do is that he flips the script to focus on the inside and not the outside. He changes the narrative. And you're gonna see it two more times today where Jesus says, you have heard it said like this, but I'm gonna tell you this. He changes how people view and perceive things. He flips the script. Here's what he wants you to see. You cannot be right on the outside, or you can be right on the outside, and still not be right on the inside. And so he's given us six examples about this. He, he talked to us about anger, and then the next two is where he talked to us about divorce and adultery and lust. Does anybody remember that real light Sunday morning we had? And then last week, the fourth one, we looked at where he talked about oaths and integrity, and today we're gonna to look at the last two and we're gonna talk about how we deal in our relationships with difficult people and difficult situations. But Jesus is bringing it all into a close here. He's like concluding this part. It's like he's wrapping up this point before he goes to the next one. And so he gives us a conclusion to the whole thing. So what I would like to do is take a look at his conclusion. Let's go to the end of chapter five and use that to help us think through the, the three things we're gonna see that he wants us to do later in chapter five. Matthew chapter five, verse 45. Jesus is wrapping things up here. He's summarizing and he says that God causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Have you ever noticed this? <laughs> that there's something that happens no matter what, that whether it's a good guy or a bad guy, the same sun shines on them. And whether someone is evil or whether they're righteous, they still get rained on their picnic, right? We call this common grace, that everybody receives that same thing from God. God doesn't differentiate in those ways. Then Jesus says this in verse 46, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? The tax collectors were kind of the, the bad guys in those days. The, those were the people that were almost treated like they were traitors, right? Because they were the people in the Jewish community who had pulled away from Judaism in the sense that they would steal money from other Jews to give it back to the Roman Empire. 
And so what you have here is some of the lowest that people thought about were the low tax collectors. And he says, look, even the tax collectors love those who love them. That, that's no big deal. If the only people you love are the people who love you, that doesn't make you any different. And then he says this in verse 47. And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? He says, look, everybody, everybody greets the people they like. Everybody says hello to the people that they like and then not the ones they don't. Sorry, Travis, it was nothing, nothing personal. You were just in the wrong seat, right? <laughs> he says, look, even the godless discriminate between who they like and who they, sorry, don't. <laughs> he says, but you're not godless. You're different than that. Remember, you live in my kingdom. So if living in my kingdom has changed you on the inside, then that's gonna show up and come out on the outside. You're not just gonna do the same stuff as the tax collectors and the godless. You're gonna live differently if you are a part of God's family. Does that make sense? Like, hang on to that for just a moment because that's gonna be really important as we move through this. Jesus says, if you are a part of my kingdom, if God is your heavenly father, then you're not like the pagans anymore. You're not like the tax collectors. You're different. And so he says this in verse 48 of Matthew chapter five, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Is anyone here perfect? No. So this seems unreasonable. What Jesus is saying here is God is perfect, so you, you, you keep aspiring to that. You keep moving towards that. This idea of perfection that he's talking about here really has the idea of you moving towards maturity, you moving away from where you were and becoming more and more like Jesus. He says, you're gonna look more and more like your heavenly father the more time you're with him, the more time you realize you're in his kingdom, the, the more you strive to be like him. So you be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. I like the way that the message version of the Bible translates this. In a word, what I'm saying is grow up. Have you ever wanted to say that to somebody? <laughs> Read them that scripture. Your kingdom subjects, now live like it. Live out your God-created identity. Live generously and graciously toward others the way God lives toward you. Here's what he wants you to see here. If you are a follower of Jesus, then you will live like your heavenly father and you will be different from the world around you. My question is, can you do it? Like when you actually come face to face with the situations you're gonna face, can you live that way? Will you live that way? Will you choose to be more and more like your heavenly father? This is a great time of year for us to talk about this because in just a moment, we're gonna read some scriptures about how we interact with difficult people and have you noticed that difficult people seem to multiply at the holidays? Isn't that true? Parking lots, stores, family gatherings. How do we handle that? Well, look at this. Matthew chapter 5, verse 38. We're going to go back now to the two things, the two examples that Jesus is going to give to us. Matthew chapter 5, verse 38 is the first one. And let's look at what he says. Let's read this whole chunk and then we'll break it down a little bit. You have heard that it was said. Remember, this is the formula Jesus uses six times. He says, you have heard this from the Old Testament, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, 
hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said. Here's Jesus' second example in in this. This is the sixth, the last one in the group. He says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your father in heaven. So Jesus gives us these real practical examples here and it's important for us to see kind of what he's saying and why he's saying it. Go back to verse 38. The first one said, you have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. Have you heard that before? What a great slogan for an optometrist who's a dentist, isn't it? Wouldn't that be great? What's it all about? Well, this is what's called lex talionis. This is the law of retribution. You not only see it in scripture, but you see it in other ancient Near East places. And the idea is this, that it was given to judges, like those that had legal authority, so that when there was a place where they had to deal out with what you might call legalized vengeance or retribution, they would have a standard. That if I hurt you in some way, you couldn't just come at me in an extreme way. There would already be kind of a sentencing and understanding of what was the appropriate thing. So it was eye for eye, tooth for tooth. And this is this principle of kind of legalized vengeance or retribution. Jesus is not taking away from that at all. He's saying that for judges, for the right institutions, for those that God has put in a place to give leadership authority in some way, that this is, this is what the Old Testament, this is what God says, there's a, there's a right way to do these things. And by the time of Jesus, they weren't necessarily still practicing eye for eye. Most of it came with financial um, payments and retribution in that way. The problem was that the Pharisees were taking this and using this not just for institutional justice, they were using it for personal justice. So if you did me wrong, I could use this scripture to find some way to get my own vengeance against you. Not going through the right proper channels, but instead saying, I'll get back. I'm gonna get even. I'm, I'm gonna go after you. You're in the wrong seat today, Travis. You, 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 sorry about that. <laughs> right? This, this was the point. And Jesus is saying, hey, this isn't licensed for your own personal vengeance, which is why he then says this in Matthew chapter five, verse 39. He says, but I tell you, Do not resist an evil person. Jesus says, you wanna find ways to get vengeance. I say to you, don't even resist them. Don't even defend yourself. Don't even fight against this. If that evil person is gonna come against you, then you don't even try to stop them. And Jesus, this is important. Jesus is dealing with you here. He's talking about you and the issues you have with other difficult people. Well, Chad, that doesn't seem right, that you would just let an evil person do whatever they want. No, you're, you're right about that because what Jesus is talking about here is not injustice. The whole scriptures are full of the fact that when we as followers of Jesus Christ see that there's an injustice, we should stand up against that. Isn't that true? Three of us have read the Old Testament. Like, like, like you know that's true, right? that we're called to stand for justice. That, but that's not what Jesus is talking about here. He also is not talking about institutions here. God has ordained certain institutions who are called by God to stand for what is right and to stand against evil. Let, let me give you an example. The apostle Paul is writing in Romans chapter 12 and he says this, do not take revenge, my dear friends, 
but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. So he's saying something similar to Jesus here. Look, if you've got an issue with somebody, don't take vengeance against them and trust it to God. But a few verses later, Paul, who's writing the same letter, says this, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. He says, look, God has put in place certain institutions and one of their roles is to promote justice and to do the right thing. In fact, he says this in verse four. He says, for the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. So God does say that there are times and places where there needs to be punishment, where there needs to be authorities, where there needs to be judgment. That's not the issue here. And we could talk about politics and we could talk about what's right and wrong and we could talk about what's legal. And we, I mean, we could get wrapped up in all those kinds of things. But that's not what Jesus is talking about in Matthew chapter five. Do you know what Jesus is very uncomfortably, personally, and awkwardly talking about in Matthew chapter five? You, me, when these issues come to us. And so what we're gonna see here today is three questions to consider with difficult people. Three questions to consider with difficult people. I don't know if you've, you've heard this, there's like a, a phrase that's going around. Uh, many of you probably don't, don't use it, but it's a, it's a phrase that's kind of circulating that if you're like frustrated with somebody or something, you have a bunch of emotions and you don't know how to communicate them. Like let's say you're, you're watching a movie and you don't like how it's going. You don't get the characters and you don't like what they did with the plot and you're all frustrated by it. You would just say, I can't even with this movie. Has anybody heard this phrase? I can't even Anybody heard this? Like you might say it, like if you got some friends and you think they're doing dumb stuff, you're just kind of like, I can't even with those two. You can't even what? Exactly. <laughs> I can't even. And it, you, you just can't express those emotions. You just don't know exactly what to say. And so sometimes you interact with people and you're just like, I can't even with them. Or you might look at somebody and just say, I, I just can't even with you. you. You can't express it. And you're just like, I, I just can't even. And Jesus says, or, or can you? Like when those people come your way and you just wanna say to them, I can't even, and you wanna dismiss or you wanna fight back or you wanna rebel or you wanna get overly frustrated, Jesus says, no, there's a different way that I want you to handle this. That the next time it runs through your mind and you go, I can't even with them. Maybe we'll hear the voice of Jesus say, or, or can you? Can you what? Three questions that we're gonna consider with difficult people. First one comes from Matthew chapter five, verse 39. Let's go back. Jesus says, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. Here's what Jesus is saying to them. And this is the first question. The next time something comes your way and you're like, I can't even with them. Maybe ask yourself this. Question number one, can you let it go? When someone does something to you that offends you, when someone does something to you that hurts your feelings, when someone does something to you that seems unfair, can you let it go? Can you let it pass? Here's what Jesus is asking. He, he says here that if somebody slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other one also. Now that sounds like a painful thing, but let me, let me show you something a little bit different. Let me find a, a volunteer. Um, Josh, did you just raise your hand? Okay, come on up. 
I told Josh he was raising his hand in the atrium a little while ago. So, so there's this picture that Jesus paints for us that if he, you can almost picture because even in, in ancient times, your right hand was the more dominant hand. So do you want to be the bad guy or the good guy? Do I get to slap you? Yeah. Bad guy. You want to be the bad guy? Yes. All right. <laughs> Pray for him and me. Would you do that right now? Okay. So that's your right hand. Yep. But the Bible says with your right hand, you're going to slap my right cheek. So most likely, um, Will Smith, what, what, what's, uh, oh, sorry. Did I say that? Okay. Um, it's like a rock. Um, yeah, yeah. So, so we're just going to act this. You don't have to. I mean, no, you're fine. Yeah. Yeah. So I wish I was a bad guy. Okay. So if you're going to slap my right cheek with your right hand, it's going to be backhand, isn't it? Yep. Bam. Yeah. That was very well done. Like Thank that. you very much. Now, here's the deal. In that culture, if someone were to slap you with a backhand, that was like the ultimate insult. See, this verse isn't so much about the physical pain you experience. It's what he just did to me. He put me down. It was an ultimate insult. It was you don't have value. What you have to say isn't worth it. I don't want you around. Like that action, go ahead and pretend one more, really pretend one more time. Just kind of that (laughs) wasn't so much about the physical action as it was about the emotional thing that was communicated in that transaction. Does that make sense? Hey, give Josh a big hand. Thank you for your grace. So here's my encouragement to you. If you have to ask yourself the question, can you let it go? Ignore the insult, because they're gonna come. Somebody's gonna say something, either they mean to or they don't mean to. And you're gonna be insulted. And there's times when you just gotta let it go. Heard about a family that got together for Thanksgiving and uh, one of the kids in the family had been way out of state for his first year of college. And the first time he came back home was for Thanksgiving. Have you ever heard of the freshman 15? He'd done it in short order. And he, he, he packed on the pounds a little bit. And when they all got together, um, he got in the night before and they all got together for Thanksgiving dinner. And grandma walked in and gave him a great big hug and her arms were around him. And she says, honey, have you lost weight? And he just kind of chuckled and said, no, grandma. And she goes, I didn't think so. What do you do with that? You ever had anybody look at you and go, oh, you're smarter than I thought you were. That's not a compliment, right? And people are gonna do and say things and are you gonna hold on to that slap in the face? And Jesus uses a lot of hyperbole. He exaggerates a lot in these passages of scripture to help us grab it. I don't know that he necessarily always means you go, nice try, now get me over here. But what he means is ignore the insult. Let it go. Those things are gonna happen. And if you're in my kingdom, you don't have to hold on to them. And then he talks about this lawsuit story. Isn't that interesting that that that's in here too? Have you heard about the woman just recently who is suing Kraft for $5 million? Florida lady suing Kraft for $5 million. She bought a box of the Velveeta mac and cheese, you know, that real high quality organic product, uh, Velveeta mac and cheese. And she, she bought a box of that and she's suing them because she says on the package, it says ready in three and a half minutes. And she says, it took me longer because you still have to deal with the water and you've got to get things ready and you've got to open the box and all those things. She says, that's false advertising and someone needs to call them out. That lady needs a life but that's the culture we live in. 
We're always looking for offense. We're always looking for what someone did wrong to us. We're always looking for how we can make things right. So drop the matter. Jesus says, look, if they want your, your shirt, give me your coat too. In those times, they would wear a, a tunic or a shirt that would be kind of the, the first layer of clothing against your body. And then you would put a coat over top of that. So the, the tunic or the shirt would go to about a man's waist down past a woman's knees and then they would wear a coat. And the coat was the part you couldn't take from someone. Like if you were to sue a poor person and the only thing they had was their coat, you could take their coat, but legally you had to give it back to them before the end of the day. Because for many poor people, that coat may be the only warmth they had if they had nowhere to sleep. And so the coat was kind of untouchable. And what's Jesus say? Look, if they're gonna sue you for your shirt, just give them your coat too. Drop the matter. Just, just don't, don't let it fester. There's some things you just have to let go of. And as followers of Jesus Christ, he says, if you're a part of my kingdom, then you will ignore the insult and you will drop the matter and you will ask yourself the question. The next time you say, I can't even, you have to say, can I let it go? Can I not hold on to this? Because followers of Jesus Christ are supposed to be people who don't stoke the fires, but instead are peacemakers. Isn't that true? There's a story in the Fort Worth Star-Telegram about a bunch of uh, 40 actually random fires that were starting in uh, different places around Genoa, Texas. And when they finally did an investigation, do you know who they found were starting these fires? A couple firemen. They're firefighters starting fires. And when they asked these rogue firemen, and let's, let's just go on the record, that's not what firemen do. In fact, the vast majority of firemen would never even think of doing anything like that. That's not their purpose. That's not how they live. These guys give a bad name to firefighters. And when they asked them why they did it, they said, we had nothing to do. We just wanted to get the red lights flashing and the bells clanging. Firefighters don't fight, or they don't start fires. They fight fires. And Jesus says, in my kingdom, when you see a fire, you don't pour gasoline on it. You put the fire out. So ignore the insult and drop the matter because it's gonna come your way probably in the next 30 days. And when it does, can you say to yourself, can I let it go? That's what would happen in Jesus' kingdom. So here, here's the second thing. It comes from Matthew chapter five, verse 41. Jesus says, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles and give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Here, here's the second question. The next time you're tempted to say, I can't even with somebody, here's question number two. Can you go the extra mile? Can you go the extra mile with that person? Something you don't have to do, but will you do it? Where does that phrase come from, the extra mile or go the second mile? In, in those biblical times in the New Testament, they were under Roman oppression. So the Roman Empire was in that time. And one of the things that the Romans could do to the people that they were oppressing, the, the, the places where they had dominion, is they could go to someone, say in Galilee or Israel or in Jerusalem, if they were a Roman soldier, they could say, you carry this for me for one mile. It might be, help me deliver the mail. It might be, carry my gear. Do you remember the story in the crucifixion of Jesus where Simon of Cyrene is grabbed to carry Jesus' cross? That's exactly what happened there. He couldn't say no. He was conscripted. And if someone would do that to you, 
you were obligated by Roman law to carry it for one mile. You didn't have to carry it any further. But if they said that to you, you had to carry whatever it was for one mile. And Jesus says, if they force you to do it for one mile, go ahead and give them two. Like, like go the extra mile. And then he says, if somebody asks you for something, you be generous from them. And if they want to borrow something, don't, don't not loan it to them. Now look, the Proverbs is full of wisdom on those matters. So Jesus isn't calling you to be foolish. Sometimes you learn lessons about people's credibility. And sometimes there's things that we have to remember from what scripture says. There's a, there's a big picture here in scripture. But here's what Jesus is saying to us. This is the big picture. Be willing to do what you do not have to do. Be willing to do what you do not have to do. So many times we're so focused on our rights, we're so focused on what I have coming to me, we're so focused on doing things in a way that protects me that what we end up doing in our relationships with other people is we just keep score. We, we wanna make sure that things are fair and even. And sometimes we need to stop keeping score and start being led of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Because when the Holy Spirit speaks to us, so many times what he asks us to do is to do the things that you do not have to do. To go the extra mile. To take the next step. And why do we do that? Not because we're awesome. And truthfully, we can't do it out of our own resources. We only do it through and because of the love of Jesus that's at work in our lives. There's a passage of scripture that we've kind of claimed as our own around here. It's 1 John 4, 19. 1 John 4, 1, 9. Don't you like that? That's ours. And it's we love because he first loved us. This is why we say we love the 419, why we serve our community. It's not because we're awesome. It's because God loves us, and so his love comes through us. Does that make sense? So we love the 419, here's my question. Do you love your 419? The difficult people in your area code, in your orbit, in, in your view, the, the person at work that drives you crazy, or the kid at school nobody wants to be around, or the family member that gets on your nerves, or the neighbor that it's hard to like, are you willing to go the extra mile and love that person because of God's love that works through you. Which brings us then to the, the third question. Can you let it go and can you go the extra mile? And here, this one comes from Matthew 5, 43. This, this is uh, where Jesus gives this sixth example. He says, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. I like that. Anybody else? Because that, that puts people in categories that are easy for me. And then Jesus flips the script. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. And the next time you look at somebody and shake your head and say, I can't even with them, the Holy Spirit would ask you question number three, can you love your enemies? It, it seems so unusual. It seems like something that doesn't make any sense. And it's not easy for us. Augustine, that the great saint of the early church, said this, many have learned how to offer the other cheek, 
but do not know how to love him by whom they were struck. It's a difference there, isn't it? It's one thing to turn the other cheek. It's another to ask the Lord to help you to love the person who slapped you in the first place. An author named Alfred Plummer has said it this way, to return evil for good is devilish. To return good for good is human. It's, it's just what we do as good human people. But to return good for evil is divine. And we need God's help for that. And he, and he says to us, we have to love our enemies. All right, I, I can, I can kind of work on that. I can even fool myself to make myself think <laughs> that I love my enemy so I let myself off the hook. And then Jesus says, and then pray for those who persecute you. Come on, are you kidding me? You want me to, you want me to pray for them? Because now I have to go past just pushing them out of my head. I have to go past just saying, oh yeah, I love them, I love them. I have to spiritually say, God, I entrust this person to you. I ask the best for this person. I ask that you change their heart. I ask that you save their soul. I ask that you work this out. I ask that you pray for those people that have nothing but your harm in mind just seems so out of, out of sense. How could I do that? Dietrich Bonhoeffer quotes A.F.C. Vilmar, who was writing in 1880 from Germany, and he said this, we are approaching an age of widespread persecution. Soon the time will come when we shall pray. It will be a prayer of earnest love for these very sons of perdition who stand around and gaze at us with eyes aflame with hatred and who have perhaps already raised their hands to kill us. Yes, the church, which is really waiting for its Lord and which discerns the signs of the times of decision, must fling itself with its utmost power and with the panoply of its holy life into this prayer of love like, like when I hear that somebody's out to get me, my first response is to put my dukes up. Anybody else? I want to be defensive. I want to fight. I'm going to show you who's in charge. You are not going to pull a fast one on me. You are not. Does anybody know what I'm talking about or am I just incriminating myself? <laughs> and what does this guy in Jesus tell us? Instead of fists, why don't you fold your hands and pray? Why don't you say instead, God... I've got to entrust this one to you. God, I need your help with this one. Peter Miller was a Baptist pastor in Ephrathah, Pennsylvania during the American Revolution who one of his very best friends was General George Washington. And they had developed a relationship over the years. There was another guy in town who was a troublemaker whose name was Michael Whitman. And Whitman wanted nothing but to just kind of make Pastor Miller's life miserable. He spoke ill of him. He was always out to get him and was opposing him on things. Well, one day Whitman got arrested for treason. And during the American Revolution, that meant he was going to die. And so on the day of his execution, Pastor Miller walked 70 miles from Ephrathah to Philadelphia to stand before his friend, General Washington, and ask for Whitman, his enemy, to be pardoned. And he walked in and he said, General, I, I would like for you to pardon the life of Whitman. And he said, well, pastor, I can't do that. After what this man's done, there's no way that I can pardon your friend. 
And Pastor Miller says, friend, this guy's not my friend. He's my worst enemy. He's always out to get me. This guy's my enemy. To which General Washington said, you, you would walk 70 miles just to plead for the life of your bitterest enemy? That changes things. I will grant his pardon. And that day his life was spared. And that day, enemy Whitman and Pastor Miller had to walk all the way back from Philadelphia to Ephrata. <laughs> they had to make the journey together. And a few days later, by the time they got home, those two enemies became friends who would be friends for the rest of their lives. Something happens when you're willing to love your enemy. Now, I can't promise you that every time you live according to God's kingdom, it's gonna miraculously change people's hearts. But I can tell you this, at some point, it's not about their heart. It's not about your enemy. It's about you and how you live in God's kingdom. Russ Ford was a death row chaplain and he said this, Jesus didn't teach us to love our enemies for their good. It is for our own good to keep us from becoming the enemy. See, when we're willing to love our enemies, it's not so much what it does for them. It's the grace that it brings to us. It's how it changes us. So the next time, which might even be before you're off the property here today, <laughs> the next time you're encountered by a difficult person where you're tempted to say, I can't even. Instead, would you let the Holy Spirit ask you if you truly are a follower of Jesus Christ and you're gonna live in a way that's different than the world around us? Can you let it go? Can you go the extra mile? And can you love your enemy? Because when we do that, that's when we're most like our father. You're gonna see this verse multiple times over the next few weeks. For some reason, God's bringing us back to this passage this Christmas, but it's in John chapter one, verse 12, where John says that to all who did receive Jesus, to those who believed in his name, there's something powerful this Christmas about believing, not just in you know, Frosty and Rudolph and all those things, but in believing in Jesus, to those that believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. You are God's children. You are not pagans. You are not tax collectors. You are not like everybody else. You are a citizen of his kingdom. And he says in his kingdom, we do things differently. We love our enemies and we go the extra mile and we let things go because we wanna look more and more and more like our heavenly father. The older I get, the more I see my mom and my dad in the way that I live my life. Anybody else? Like I, I just see their traits coming out in me. Sometimes I look in the mirror and I go, oh no, anybody else? <laughs> but most of the time, most of the time, I'm very thankful. Most of the time I'm like, oh yeah, that's like my dad. Oh, I think like my mom. Because I watched, especially in the areas of the way they treated other people, I watched and I learned. I think it was probably more caught than it was taught. But I learned from my parents how it meant to treat other people even in difficult situations. And then with Ron and I's three children, there, there were seasons of time, all three of them, to be honest, where, where I, I would watch them when they were little and I thought, you, you're hopeless. 
You are never going to have people skills. Has anybody ever been there? And you're like, what did we do wrong? And I am very thankful to say, largely based on their mother, our kids are wonderful now. All three of them, so proud of them, have great people skills. But there were these seasons where I just went, they're, they're never even gonna know how to say hello to someone. But I think largely, you know how they, how they picked that up? Because they watched their dad and their mom. As they were around us, they learned it, and it changed them. And more than anything else, when you're dealing with difficult people, would you just say, Jesus, help me to be more like my heavenly father? Holy Spirit, would you help me to let it go? Holy Spirit, would you help me to go the extra mile? Holy Spirit, would you help me to love my enemies? And even more for some of us, what you need even more than that is just to say simply, Holy Spirit, would you help me? Because <laughs> some of you, this isn't about awkward situations. This is just about your life. And you just know you're at a point where you say, God, I can't do this on my own anymore. And I need your forgiveness. And Jesus, I need your help. And there's no better time than right now to simply say, Jesus, I give you my life. So can I ask you just to bow your heads and close your eyes with me for just a moment? And whether you're sitting in this room or maybe you're in auditorium too, you could be watching online or on television or even listening to this podcast that you know in your heart that today is a day when you need to say, Jesus, I can't do this on my own anymore. And whether it be for the first time or for the thousandth time, you need to say, Jesus, I give you my life. If that's you, would you just raise your hand right where you are? I can't do it on my own anymore. Yeah, thanks. Anybody else? Thanks. Jesus, I give you my life. Here's just another question real quick. Maybe for some of you, you're looking at the weeks ahead and you know that there's most likely gonna be some moments where you're gonna have to interact with some difficult people. And before you even get there, you're saying, Holy Spirit, would you help me to be more like my heavenly father in those moments, in those instances, when those possible conflicts come? Can I handle them more like Jesus? If that's you, would you just raise your hand? You just, you just know you're gonna need his help. Yeah, awesome, awesome. Father, thank you for your word. Holy Spirit, I, I just wanna give you a minute to speak to our hearts. Because some of us right now are even thinking about some relational things that we just need your help. And the truth is we might not be perfect and we might not get them all right. But Spirit, would you help us? Would you guide us? That we would know your Spirit's leading. That we would hear your voice whisper at just the right moment, let it go. Go the extra mile. Love your enemy. Because in those moments, you're never more like Jesus than when you choose to love. And Lord, for the one who says today that they can't do it on their own anymore, Lord, as they choose you as a savior, as they choose you as their Lord, God, would you right now even just let them know you're changing them, that they're a new creation because of the work that only you can do. Father, we thank you that your word speaks right to the real life things that happen. And so God, would you help us to live this out 
as children of God. I ask that you'd go with us. Would you send us out with your special favor and with your wonderful peace? And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, God bless you. Thanks for being here. Have a great week. We'll see you Wednesday night for our first Wednesday service. God bless.